Uh, if you're visiting us, we're going through James, a very challenging book, very practical. And uh, we're not going to look at the last uh, paragraph because it's fairly self-explanatory. just going to do the first two. So let's pray and then look at God's word. Uh, Father God, we do thank you uh, for the rain. We thank you for refreshing the fields, the gardens, the ground and the plants. And Lord, we ask that you would refresh us now with your word. Help us understand what it says. Help us to live according to your word and help us be ready for Jesus' return. Help me to preach according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The big day is coming. The big day. Now, for all of us, we have different big days, don't we? Maybe that exam that you're studying really hard for. Maybe the day of settlement when you finally get your house keys or the build is finally built. The day when you can finally leave Ballarat and do that trip you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to do. The day that you're going to get married, the day you get graduated, the day you get your braces off. Mmm, I still love feeling my teeth. I had braces. Hang in there, it's coming. The day when your rallies, all your rallies catch up and you get to have that special event. Now, the big days, they require a lot of planning and preparation. And those big days seem so distant, so far away, and yet when they come, over in a flash. Now, often there's kind of two approaches we can have to these big days, can't we? There's the the approach of count every day. Build up the excitement. You know, I've seen people, they get apps on their phones, and they've got like this countdown just to... I don't know if it freaks them out or gets them excited, you know, amount of days, amount of hours, amount of minutes until the big day. Or the other approach is just to ignore it. Oh, yeah, it'll happen, doesn't matter, and just don't plan or do anything. Now, I don't know which way you tend to go, whether you're a build up the day or just ignore the day, but maybe a more balanced approach might be helpful. Live for today but get ready for the big day. So what's the question we're asking this morning? Are you ready for the biggest day? Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Now today's passage, the two paragraphs that Carol read, we've got a warning and an encouragement. A warning of judgment and an encouragement to be patient and to be steadfast. Now, James, he wrote his letter to Christians that were scattered throughout the known world, the Roman Empire, and he wrote them, it was a bit of a charge, a bit of a fire up, how to live as Christians. If you are Jesus' followers, you are to live his way. And so we have the warning in the first paragraph. Now, we overlook the fact that we as Australians are wealthy. We may not have a house overlooking Lake Wendaree, but we all live in a house. We may not have the most expensive car, but nearly all of us have a car or access to a car. We don't have to walk to get around. And on a global scale, we're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. Top 15%. Now, we all like to say, oh, no, they're heaps richer than me. 
But whether we're a uni student on Study or a retiree on the pension, we are wealthy. And so we have to consider what we do. And this is the warning. Now, there's debate as to who are the rich people James is addressing. Verse 4 tells us they're wealthy landlords. And so most commentators say that James is not writing to wealthy Christians, but to Christians who are suffering at the hands of wealthy. And he's explaining uh, for the rich that they should reap and wail. He's telling them of the coming judgment. So let's, uh, let me read the first six verses. Come now, you rich, reap and wail for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotten and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And we can see that the rich people here that he's referring to, they're living lives of ease and comfort, but it will not last. Soon they will be judged and they will suffer punishments. Now just to clarify, the Bible doesn't teach that wealth, evil of itself, is evil or bad. Wealth's not the problem. A wealth, like all good gifts, is a gift from God. The problem, of course, is people's relationship to wealth, as we saw in the kids' talk so easily explained. The problem is people's relationship with wealth, the selfish desire to have more, making wealth an idol, sinful practices of acquiring wealth, and as in our passage, abusing others to attain wealth. And so the wealthy will be judged for their actions, not just because they have a heap of wealth. And although it's a different context for the first recipients of the letter, it's a great opportunity for us to hear God's word, to hear the warning of what can happen for us who are wealthy. So let's listen to God's word and let it work in all of us. What's God's word saying? It's saying earthly wealth is not lasting. Garments are moth-eaten, gold and silver are corroded, and Ballarat of all places knows the dangers of wealth. Gold and its discovery brought mass and instant wealth, and yet at the same time great human abuse. So easily and quickly wealth can be squandered. So easily people allow greed and envy to control their lives. You know, they quote, how do you destroy your relationships with all your friends and family? Win Tats Lotto and see what happens. So many Tats Lotto winners, their relationships with family and friends are destroyed. And then they often lose the money so quickly. We, in our own experiences, maybe we haven't won tats, lotto, but we know how quickly wealth can go, can vanish. 
The share market can crash. A floods, as in New South Wales, or fire. The home can be gone. And verse 3 actually uh, warns that people's wealth will be used as evidence against them on the last day. Wealth uses evidence against them on their final day. Uh, a few years ago, my mate, he had his brand new Ford Ute stolen. I don't know why you'd bother stealing that, but anyway, they did. Police had a suspect, but they didn't have any evidence that he stole the Ute. They got a warrant, they searched his house, and they found my mate's checkbook in his home. The checkbook was in the glove box of the Ute. The Ute was never discovered. They never found the Ute. But the checkbook was a key piece of evidence that was used to charge the man who stole the ute. The last day, the wealth will be used as evidence. Another problem that James highlights is that the rich are lying up, laying up their wealth on the last days. The last days, of course, between Jesus' first visit on earth and his return. We're in the last days. And so the challenge we need to be thinking about is, what am I doing with my wealth, with my possessions? We need savings. It's good to have savings, to have superannuation, to have some savings for when we have the rainy day. But God provides us all we have. Are we using what God has given us to bless others and not just ourselves? So often in life, the wealthy take advantage of the poor. History shows that. The rich believe that they can literally get away with it. But James warns in verses 4 that God hears and sees everything. Nothing escapes our God. That's a great reminder for us, isn't it? We can't get away with anything God sees and knows all. And his description of the, the rich fattening their hearts for judgment like that lamb or the calf that is fattened for the abattoir. The unsuspecting cow that thinks it's so good that she's getting all this extra grass and hay from the farmer. Little does she know the more she eats, the bigger the steak will be. So it is for the wealthy. The very asset they find their security in, the very thing that they love more than anything, will be their downfall. So for us, a great reminder to take stock and consider, where do I find my security? What will get me through the tough times of life? What am I trusting in? God has been so generous to all of us, given us more than we need. How are we using our wealth? Are we using it for the good of others or just ourselves? And so now James changes focus. He goes from a warning to writing an encouragement of Jesus' return. His focus is to encourage Christians to be patient for Jesus return verse 7 be patient therefore brothers and sisters until the coming of the Lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains 
You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now farmers are such a wonderful examples, aren't they? And let's, let's think of grain farmers. We've got a lot of smoke happening out west as they're burning last year's stubble. The farmer has to wait for the autumn break. Is this it? Probably not, but it's a good rain. They have to wait until they can put the crop in. And then they have to wait months and months for the rains to come. And you think about the grain farmer. He or she has to wait until harvest, until they get a return. The crop, a whole year's work. The farmer has to be patient. And so James uses the farmer as a a model of patience. That's not going to happen straight away. We have to be patient. We have to patiently wait for Jesus' return. But it's not just, oh yes, I'm waiting. It's not just lip service. What does he say? Establish in our hearts. Be ready for Jesus to come this Tuesday. How good it would be if he came on Tuesday. Would it change our plans for the week? I hope so. But we have to long for Jesus' return more than any other day. More than our footy team winning. You know, and as a Collingwood supporter, it's going to be a while. More than the first day of spring in Ballarat, which is, what's it, normally 1st of November? More than our next birthday, that wedding, that graduation, that retirement, that whatever. Establish our hearts for Jesus and his return. And so James continues how Jesus returns affects our relationships. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Don't grumble. Why do we grumble? Well, it's often because our hearts aren't right. We grumble, we speak about others as we shouldn't. And the warning, don't do it. The judge is at the door. He could arrive. Imagine if you're grumbling and Jesus appears. Uh, yeah, I'll stop there. When he returns, we have to give an account for all our words. But as followers of Jesus, we are to be steadfast. Now, things aren't great in our society, and they appear to be getting worse. And the easy thing is we go, woe is us. We are so doing it so hard but what does James say he says take the prophets the Old Testament prophets as examples think about men like Elijah or Elisha all the other prophets are saying whatever the king wanted to hear but they spoke the truth they were the only ones speaking the truth they said exactly what the Lord told them which was not what the wicked kings wanted to hear They were warned by their kings, don't you dare say anything bad against me. Tell me I'm going to win this war. Tell me I'm going to 
succeed over my enemies. They were told, if you speak about me, I will punish you. And what did they do? They still spoke what the Lord said. They willingly said what God had told them and suffered the consequences. And so James says, look to them as examples to follow. And then he says, look to the steadfastness of Job. Now, as we know, in the book of Job, at the first couple of chapters, he was a wealthy man. He had it all. And God was having a discussion with Satan and he said, yes, you can do what you like with Job, but don't kill him. And Satan took it all. He took his children, his animals, everything by his wife. And then he inflicted him with pain and suffering. Now his wife, his close friend, said to Job, Oh, you sinner, just repent. But he knew in his own heart that he had not sinned. Although overcome with grief, in pain, and everyone talking against him, he remained steadfast. And finally he was redeemed by the Lord. The Lord was compassionate and merciful. Now it's a constant temptation for us, isn't it? We look around, we look at everyone else and we say, all the people in Ballarat not going to church and it's easy for us to say, oh, there's so few. There's so few following Jesus. But Elijah, he thought he was the only follower of the Lord in his day and the Lord corrected him and said there was a great many of the faithful remnant he has. Brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Don't look to wealth for security because it won't provide it. Don't look for pleasure or comfort because it won't fulfill and it definitely won't last. And don't look at what everyone else is doing because they don't know what they're missing out on. We are to look to Jesus. Look to the only one who can provide real security, real fulfilment and real life both now and in the future the day is coming are you ready are you ready to meet the one who died on good friday the first good friday so that we could be forgiven are you ready to meet the one who will judge every thought every word every deed it will be a great day of relief or a great day of disappointment. And when it comes, it will be too late to change. When the day comes, there will be no second chances, no extensions, no special exemptions. When the day comes, every knee will bow. Some with joy and excitement, some with fear, some in anger, but every knee will bow, whether its owner wants it to or not. Are you ready? The only way to be ready is through Jesus. On the first Easter, Jesus died so we could be restored. On the first Easter, Jesus was judged so that we didn't have to. And on the first Easter, Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God.
Now, we can't do it ourselves. Only Jesus can do it. We need to acknowledge that we have lived for ourselves. That we, like the passage says, have been selfish with our wealth. That we are sorry. That we want to say sorry to God for all our selfishness. That we don't want to be the boss. We want Jesus to be the boss of our lives. And we want to depend on him for our forgiveness. And we want to live his way in his response. Are you ready? Have you actually prayed to God? Have you said sorry to God for the selfishness? Have you said, I want Jesus to be the boss of my life? If you've never prayed that, today is the best day to pray it. No better day. Let's pray. Father God, it's hard to read and it's hard to accept. And we want to acknowledge that we are sorry for our selfishness. That you have given us everything we have. You have given us so much more than we need. And yet instead of being grateful, we've been um, thinking that we're entitled. Instead of being generous, we've been selfish. Instead of living for you, we've lived for ourselves or other things. Instead of trusting in you, we've trusted in other things, in other people. We are sorry. Please forgive us. Father God, we need to be ready for your son's return and we can't do it on our own. Father God, we pray that you would help us to see our need of Jesus. And for those of us who have never prayed, we pray and ask that Jesus would become the boss of our lives. That we would no longer live independently, but live following Jesus. And Father God, help us to support and encourage one another to live for Jesus. And we thank you that when we trust in Jesus, when we follow him that the final day will be a great relief. That on the final day, we don't have to fear it because Jesus has paid the price, but also that when the final day comes, all suffering, all injustice, all cruelty and sin will be removed. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you what he did on the first Easter, and we thank you for when he comes, what he will do. Lord, help us to be ready. And we do pray for our family, our friends that don't yet trust in Jesus. Help them to trust in him and to be ready for that final day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.